Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Ryan Kemp is putting the political pedal to the metal. So if they're looking to come here, they know that they're going to have a great business environment and great hardworking people. Welcome to the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you haven't already, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Political Georgia. Coming up later, what Herschel Walker tells voters about skipping debates and about mental health. But first, another potential major announcement of an automaker looking to set up shop in Georgia. I asked Governor Kemp about the prospect of Hyundai and Kia bringing thousands of jobs to the state. Well, I'll just say, look, when you're the number one state in the country for business, you have a lot of great companies looking here. Uh, there was a reason I made my first economic development trip to South Korea and visited with great companies like Kia and Hyundai and a lot of others. Um, you know, we, we've got a great partnership uh, with them and a lot of other South Korean companies, and we have for a long time. So if they're looking to come here, they know that they're going to have a great business environment and great hardworking people. And here's what Governor Kemp says the new Hyundai plant would mean for Georgia's workforce. All these deals that we're working on are are us trying to get better opportunities for our citizens and continue to have our state moving forward. And that's what we're doing every day. Uh, So, you know, we'll see what the company decides to do. And Patricia, the state of Georgia had gone through a drought for so long um, trying to land the big fish. The last big auto plant to come to Georgia was Kia. in 2006 out in West Point, Georgia. And now in the span of just a few months, it looks like Georgia could have two major auto plants that aren't just providing jobs, they're providing thousands of jobs. Uh, Rivian's, uh, the electric vehicle manufacturer that is setting up shop near um, Rutledge, Georgia, east of Atlanta, about an hour east of Atlanta, they're promising 7,500 jobs and a $5 billion investment. From what we're hearing, uh, Hyundai Motor Corp, which is the parent company of both Hyundai and Kia, would set up an enormous campus that could involve 8,500 jobs. It would be the biggest economic development project in state history, trumping Rivian by about 1,000 jobs. Yeah, it's incredible. And before we get into this, can you describe the level of certainty that the governor talks about this? I've had some questions from readers to say, so is it's coming? Is it coming? So how do we describe that to listeners? So as of this podcast taping, which is May 10th, um, we're, we're, we're hearing it's a, it's a very high likelihood. Um, Inc. isn't put to paper yet. There hasn't been a formal announcement yet. Um, Hyundai has just said that it is looking to put an electric vehicle plant in the U.S., so it's confirmed it will be building a second plant. 
Um, but from what we're hearing um, from sources with direct knowledge of these negotiations, it is Georgia that is Hyundai has picked Georgia as the site, and this plant is going down in Bryan County. Um, but again, yeah, it's a great question because we have not um, officially it has not been officially announced yet. And in all of our coverage of this, we've seen potential, um, likely, you know, those those sort of um, catchwords because it it isn't over until it's over. And we've seen incidents in Georgia where um, a, another state or another rival competitor just comes at last minute and offers even more incentives or even more reason um, for for a plant to go elsewhere. And then when you um, uh, broke the news about Rivian coming to Georgia, that absolutely panned out. So I know it's not the type of thing that uh, we would report without having a high, high level of certainty. So I will discuss this as if it's happening. So here we go. Um, This is just humongous news. Uh, The state of Georgia has been trying to get a consumer, get a, you know, kind of get a business to come in to what they call a mega site down in Bryan County. And that means that the county, the development authority down there, the Georgia um, Economic Development Authority, the ports of Savannah, they all teamed up to create this package to try and woo some um, ideally car manufacturer because that is um, such a successful model for manufacturing here in the state of Georgia so far. It's ideally located about an hour away from the Georgia ports right there in Savannah. So it's something that they have really felt like they could, if they could just put the right package together, they could get a premier um, tenant like Kia to come in with a Hyundai plant. Um, And it's not just the, um, you know, 7,000 to 8,500 direct jobs that would be created. It would be all of the places where those employees would be living, where they would be eating, where they would be going to school, all of the infrastructure that comes along with that. So it's such a game changer for a county like Bryan County. And if you look at where all of these um, kind of big mega projects are situated, they're just sprinkled kind of strategically around the state. And that helps for a number of reasons. And politics is not one of the low on the totem pole, (laughs) frankly, because now we've got Kia in uh, West Point, West Georgia. This would be going in on the Southeast Coast, the solar facility in Dalton, the SK battery plant over in Commerce, and then um, the Rivian factory east of Atlanta. And it starts to feel like this manufacturing renaissance in the state. And for Governor Kemp to be able to take ownership of that, and this is after a decade's decades, decades long slide. All over the South, manufacturing was really hollowed out. And uh, towns and cities near that manufacturing were hollowed out along with it to be able to tell a story that this is turning around. And uh, with real jobs and real factories, it's sort of a legacy defining moment for Kemp right now. Yeah, you're exactly right, especially when you look at West Point, Georgia, which was a textile town forever, right? And when all those jobs dried up, it was kind of a barren town until West Point came and transformed, uh, until Kia came, I should say, and transformed West Point um, into um, into the city it is today. Um, and look, you're right. We can't we can't divorce the politics from this move. And there's nothing more that Governor Kemp wants than to be able to announce this before the May 24th primary. So sometime in the next week or two to announce this um, because he hasn't been able to trumpet Rivian as much as he probably would have liked to. Uh, you know, when Rivian was announced in December, it was met with acclaim at first, but then as this sort of grassroots pushback emerged um, 
and politicians like David Perdue and others um, seized it, it became less of a talking point for Governor Kemp. Um, it was, uh, you know, it became more of a, uh, I wouldn't say poisonous, but just a more complicated um, part of his economic package. So on the campaign trail, I heard him talking more about, when, he, when it came to the economy, more about his decision to reopen Georgia's economy, much more than he talked about Rivian, especially in other parts of the state. Well, you better believe that he'll be talking about Kia and Hyundai um, opening a second plant, opening this plant, because um, the, Kia already has this great reputation in the minds of so many Georgia voters because of its auto plant, plant out in West Georgia. It, it'll be a lot harder for David Perdue and others um, to characterize this as a sweetheart deal or as an election year ploy because you're, you're, you're directly involving a name brand company and not a startup like Rivian. Yeah, you made that point in your reporting, and I think it's such a great uh, detail to understand, is that Kia is already considered a great neighbor down in West Georgia. It has been such a success story. So to be able to say we're going to replicate that over on the Georgia coast, that's huge. Now, Rivian is a little bit of a different story. First of all, no one has ever heard of Rivian before. This is a startup. And when, uh, you know, when I first heard about Rivian, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Is that like furniture or is that <laughs> like, that seems like a lot of jobs. What do they do over there? You know, of course I read your story and found out. Um, Look, I didn't so- know what Rivian was before I started hearing rumors about it. I'm, I'm being serious. I didn't know what yes, it was. I'm not a, This I'm is not, not a, a name brand. This is not a household product quite yet. Um, also, Rivian, I do believe this is going to be a bit of an emotional roller coaster with Rivian. Rivian, um, we saw on Monday shares of Rivian fell by 20%. Um, and because it's a startup, there's a lot of um, investor money in it, uh, a lot of private capital. Um, it is a kind of a slightly untested concept to have an electric vehicle pickup truck. Uh, there is, I'm sure they know enough to know there's lots of demand for it. But this is going to be, I think, a bit of an up and down with Rivian until it really gets going. With Kia, it's Kia's coming. Awesome. You know, that's all you really need to say about that. Um, One other small piece I want to say about the Rivian deal. I've started to hear that David Perdue's criticism of that Rivian deal is starting to really cost him political capital um, around the state among people who help make put these deals together. They feel like it has been, um, it has served to undermine the confidence in this entire process, this concept of putting together an economic development package, bringing it to a company and trying to sell Georgia as the place to land and bring all those new jobs. And so I think that has hurt David Perdue in a way that I I had not quite understood until I started talking to um, Republicans and lawmakers around the state who've brought that up a couple of times. Yeah, that's a great point because David Perdue is a former corporate executive. You know, I, I, I could never have guessed the sort of pushback that we saw um, from from the political class, I could have expected it from, you know, local residents who are upset about, uh, you know, a giant plant being uh, placed right near where they live. I get that, but what what we've never never really seen is the sort of um, pushback we saw from the upper echelons of Georgia politics, not just David Perdue, but candidates for Congress, candidates for other um, legislative and statewide offices, who are all saying that. Uh, the biggest economic development project in state history is not a good thing, in a sense. And David Perdue's opposition has morphed a little bit more recently. 
um, to be focused more on the $1.5 billion incentive package, um, you know, which, which the details came out just a few days ago. Um, so that it's morphed a little bit, but still as a former corporate executive, he has lots of history of using incentives to benefit his own companies that he's led. We should also say, because we've talked about investors and about Rivian, that our parent company, Cox Enterprises, is a major investor in Rivian, but they do not have any say in our um, handling of the news, as you can tell from our podcast and from our coverage, because we've we've just <laughs> telling the truth about the pushback and the opposition. Um, it's true. I, I am not an investor in Rivian. I don't have that kind of <laughs> coin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and nor nor am I an individual investor in Rivian or really, I don't think in any stocks. Um, I'm more of a mutual fund guy, I guess. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, Republican senatorial candidate Herschel Walker attended an event over the weekend hosted by WSB Radio's Shelley Winter. I was there. It was, a, it was really fascinating because it was kind of an hour long, not a town hall per se, but it was an hour-long event, and 45 minutes of it was Shelley and him talking about the issues of the day, and then about 15 minutes um, was questions from the audience. And um, one of the first questions Shelley asked him, I think it was the first question Shelley asked Herschel Walker, was, why hasn't he debated any of his opponents? Here's his answer. In the governor race, if you weren't polling above, what was it, 10, 10%, you didn't even get invited to the debate. There's nobody running against polling more than 10%. So I said, what I'm going to do is get out to meet the people, because those are what's important to me. If I go to a debate, I don't want to argue with people. I don't want to be fighting with people. I want the people to know what I stand for. And I said, I'm a warrior for God. I don't have time to entertain people. You know, he said that a lot, Patricia, lately, that, that he's not there for your entertainment. He's not there to, to promote uh, other candidates, you know, who are, who are challenging him. He's entirely focused on Raphael Warnock. And when you're polling at 66% in the AJC poll, you can, you can afford to take that strategy, to take that approach. Yes, we've also heard that he had a conflict. He was out of town one time. Um, this is the first I've heard the I'm a warrior for God, so I'm not here to do debates with my primary um, uh, rivals. I feel like these are, frankly, a lot of excuses, I think, um, Pe voters I talk to, here's how they're interpreting this. And these are Republicans. They're saying, why isn't he doing these debates? I'm worried. I think they are now worried that he is not capable of debating by taking the, by sort of, by turning down the opportunity to debate his fellow rivals. Um, there is a strategic advantage, of course, that keeps the other guys off the stage. That makes sure that Latham Sadler is going to have to pay for every dollar of FaceTime he gets on statewide TV here in Georgia. He's never going to get free airtime as long as Herschel Walker is taking this strategy. But I hear more and more from GOP voters, not only is why isn't he debating, but is he going to be able to effectively debate Raphael Warnock? There is anxiety there. I think he has... Um, you know, at a certain point, you're going to have to take the seal off of this thing. And so um, he will, if he has a great debate against Raphael Warnock, that will be a terrific relief to Republican voters um, who are a little bit worried right now that he's um, not up to speed to debate. Um, that could change. That often does change over the course of a campaign. He's getting around the state a ton. He's in front of audiences a lot. Um, those audiences will not be as unfriendly as Raphael Warnock on a debate stage, though. And so um, I think some voters are ready to see him um, in more freewheeling, 
um, more kind of informative venues rather than um, kind of friendly interviewers and comfortable conversations. Yeah. And this was definitely a friendly crowd because it, it was hosted by WSB, but it was, it was, well, it was headlined by WSB's Shelley Winter, but it was um, hosted by uh, the uh, Atlanta Young Republicans and the Cobb Young Republicans. So it was a younger audience, a friendly audience. Um, I definitely talked to some Gary Black supporters there and some supporters of some of his rivals. Um, but overall, it was a friendly crowd. And overall, he held his own. I mean, you know, there, there, Shelley asked tough questions and, and asked some follow-up questions. Herschel Walker didn't necessarily answer them. <laughs> but, but and that's okay. And, that happens. Yeah. And for me as a reporter who is covering him, who has only seen him sparingly at smaller venues, I've seen him at big rallies and things like that, but I've, I've only seen him sparingly at events like this. Um, it was informative. And one of the other uh, aspects he mentioned was he spoke openly about mental health and the role that his mental health challenges will play in his campaign. I was bullied when I was a little guy. So I was bullied a great deal. So I used my, my athletic, my coping mechanism through athletics. So I went through the athletic world like and stuff like blowing and going, conquering everything. But then when I got out of football, I had a problem. So in my, I, taught, I was taught that when I have a problem, I got to take care of that problem. So I went to a hospital to see what was going on. And when I got out of that hospital, that's when I built that large company of mine. But I also started working with the military. So what I would do with the military, every three weeks, I would go to a base somewhere in the world. And I talked to them about there's no shame to ask for help. So I worked with them and I treated people that have any type of mental problem, any type of chemical problem. So that's what I started doing because I said we all fall short of the glory of God. Patricia, you know, we've, we've heard him address his mental health challenges, his mental health illness in the past. Um, it's going to be front and center, you know, even if he doesn't want to address it, right? Uh, his critics, um, we won't hear it from Senator Warnock. I, I sincerely doubt that, but we might hear it from Senator Warnock's allies and others. Um, so um, this isn't going away, you know, questions about his mental health. Um, but Herschel Walker is indicating that he's going he's gonna to be talking about them as the general election phase um, continues. Yeah. And I think that he will have a very receptive audience to that message. And the more he gets that message out there, um, just as he did in that interview, and I'm sure it was very well received in the room. And I have seen um, video of him speaking to veterans and speaking to large church groups all in this conversation. And it is um, very open and frank. It uh, people relate to it. There's nobody in that audience who doesn't have a family member who has struggled with either substance abuse or mental health illness or mental health crisis or known somebody who has. And the incident in this state is more and more and more. And that's why the state legislature just passed a massive mental health overhaul bill with the vote of every single person in both chambers. It was a, um, a had unanimous support because this is a crisis in the state. So I think that Walker can enter that conversation as a huge opportunity um, because it is, it resonates so much with people because it's what's going on in people's lives. Um, now, concurrently, there has been reporting um, from the Washington Post, from the AJC, just about the nature of his diagnosis and the nature of 
the gentleman who gave him his diagnosis. I think that's important information um, that people can read about in both the Post and the AJC. I think it's important to have as much information about this situation as possible because Walker does have incidents of violence that he has talked about in his book um, and has said that that's related to his mental health diagnosis. And this is all information that voters can handle as long as they're told and told um, by the candidate. And so I think that that's um, an area where he can continue to share information and voters will be very receptive to that. And Patricia is referring to a story from our colleague, Shannon McCaffrey, that you all should check out that ran just a few days ago. Uh, When we come back from break, we'll talk more about the governor's race and some down ticket contests. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluston, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we were two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, fresh in your inbox every morning. And your latest edition will include some unique analysis from David Perdue's campaign about why the early voting numbers uh, give him a, a little bit more of a glimmer of hope of forcing Brian Kemp into a runoff. So be sure to check out the Morning Jolt for that fresh data. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join the community now, right now, by going to subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts. And Patricia, your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. And I'm sure Patricia would love for you to sign up to validate her getting up at 3.30 in the morning and not being yes. able to have dreams <laughs> because she wakes up yes. so early. My dreams have died. Please pay 99 cents a month. That's my message. See, and this show, yes, everything no, ties we, back we, I get The reason I get up at 3.30 is because I love morning newsletters also. I'm an aficionado, and I know that the ones produced, and Mike Allen is my is my hero in life. Mike Allen gets himself up out of bed at the crack of everything. um, And you can really tell it in the copy. And so that was my goal with the AJC's newsletter is that people, first of all, can read it before they get going on their day and start ignoring their own email. Um, And then also, um, we really do set the conversation if we start the conversation. And so that's my goal every day with the AJC Morning Jolt. Um, Well, speaking of conversations and political debates, uh, we've been covering all of the money numbers that are coming. And I know it's not the sexiest thing to talk about, but it is important, especially when we're this close to an election, which campaign has the resources to flood the airwaves, to 
pay for um, operatives, to pay for folks to canvas, um, to, to pay for mailers, all these issues. That's why we, we, we so carefully watch the money numbers. Uh, and what we saw is Democratic candidate Stacey Abrams is closing in on Kemp's narrow lead in, in campaign fundraising. She had another blistering fundraising quarter, uh, despite getting into the race only in December, despite Brian Kemp's giant head start. Um, Stacey Abrams is, is cutting into his lead. But I think the real headline here is who is lagging very far behind. It's Senator David Perdue. He has $900,000 in cash on hand. And he only donated, Patricia, he only donated, uh, loaned himself $500,000 of his own campaign, of his own money, I should say, um, which is, you know, it's a lot of money. It's no, nothing to sneeze at. But for a guy who's worth more than $50 million, it shows he's not pumping in five mil or 10 mil. He's pumping in $500,000. Um, even one of Purdue supporters said this amounts to a death rattle. Yeah. And I think that, um, to me, just the proportion of his own money versus everybody else's money that is in the bank. So he's, he makes up more than half of what's in the bank right now, um, for compared to what other people have given him. That is just not a good sign of a campaign with, um, either grassroots support or leadership support or corporate support. Um, it is, it is not, it's not the same as votes, but it is always an early indication, not only of sort of like, what is the, um, you know, what's the general support for this campaign, but also is this campaign going to have the resources to be up on the air just to compete with Brian Kemp? Are they going to have the resources to have the boots on the ground to be out there um, really competing with a ground game against Brian Kemp? And so it's uh, it's it sends messages on both of those fronts. It's sort of a current barometer or measurement of the sort of the support in the air around the state, but it's also a future predictor of how effective your campaign is going to be. Will it have the resources it needs? And so um, with, uh, you know, weeks to go until the 24th, you would really rather have a lot more money in the bank, especially if, as he's hoping, um, he can get this to a runoff. I asked David Perdue about having enough financial resources to mount an effective campaign in the closing days of the race at a campaign stop of his in Gainesville. Here's what he said. We're right where we need to be. We said in December when I announced that this was not going to be about money. I mean, I'm running against the COVID governor. We do that. I'm not lying about that. He had three and a half years to raise money. So we're going to get outspent. But I've been outspent in every race I've been in, from 14 to 20 and even now. So what we're doing is taking our message to the people. Right where we want to be. There's a lot of snickering from some of his rivals uh, when, when when they saw that quote. Um, look, I also asked him about the abortion issue, the 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 leaked opinion, and about whether he felt like it could impact voter turnout. Here's what he said. Well, I didn't do it as a wedge issue. I actually called for the governor to to step where I am and let's get shoulder to shoulder on this issue. This should be all of us protecting life and. And that sort of thing. So I, I didn't do this for a political reason. I did it because it, I felt morally correct that this is something that I felt for a long time. Patricia, he's referring to his stand that um, Georgia should call, if he were governor, he would call a legislative special session to outlaw all abortion <clears throat> if Roe v. Wade is overturned. That's a, that's a step that Governor Kemp has not yet taken. He hasn't said he would or wouldn't, but um, behind the scenes, um, it's not a step he's willing to take from what we understand because, frankly, because the the, uh, the anti-abortion measure that passed in 2019 
passed by the skin of the te- its teeth, right? It passed by with one vote to spare in the Georgia House, and it didn't go nearly as far as David Perdue is calling, which is to ban all abortion, including in cases of rape and incest. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, there's the politics involved. Um, It is possible to get to the furthest right point on this issue. And that is exactly where David Perdue is. Um, But there is also the reality of the world. And the reason why some women terminate a pregnancy that they don't want to terminate is if they are, if they've been told by the doctor that they could die. Or is this a 12 year old girl who has been molested by somebody. I mean, these are horrible conversations to have, but that's the reality of the world. Um, And when you take a a blanket position uh, like David Perdue has done, that's because he's a candidate. Brian Kemp is not in the same position because he's a sitting governor. And um, he can take that position, but I think that um, we have not seen most sitting governors take as broad a stance on that, um, even, uh, even those who are up for election right now. And speaking of far-right positions, um, I was over at the Fulton County GOP over the weekend, uh, where I heard from a number of candidates, um, including David Perdue. But I also got the chance to listen to John Gordon, who is a Trump-backed contender for attorney general. And he told the crowd that he would go after teachers who teach critical race theory or gender identity in public schools. Here is his exact wording. Protect your children. We're not going to allow CRT and uh, gender identity to be teached and, and propagated in our schools. I will enjoin them. I will prosecute them as child abusers if they try to do it. So, in Georgia, we have a candidate for AG saying he would use the the levers of power in Georgia to prosecute teachers as child abusers who teach critical race theory or gender identity. And let, let's be really clear. There's no evidence that any teachers in K through 12 public schools in Georgia are teaching critical race theory. It's become this like byword for controversy in the GOP world in Georgia. Um, but we also haven't heard a candidate go as far as John Gordon saying that he would use his office's authority to to go after public school teachers. <laughs> So picking a fight with public school teachers has never worked out extremely well for anybody up for statewide office. I think we have <laughs> multiple former governors who can tell 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 them all about it. Um, also, I'm really struck by his just broad promise to prosecute and lock up um, people who it has just never been contemplated, even in the debate on the floor of the um, Georgia legislature that veered quite far to the right while this debate was happening. That was never discussed. Even more striking was the huge applause that he got in that room from the Fulton County GOP. And so I think that that is, those are two data, it's not data, it's just extremely anecdotal. It's actually the opposite of data. But just the fact that that line got the biggest applause of his whole speech, to me, first of all, tells us why he's running, because he is sort of bubbled up from this um, grassroots uh, fervor uh, driven mostly by the election in 2020. Um, and then also why he is getting some play. Um, I see his yard signs quite a bit around Atlanta. I see his bumper stickers quite a bit around Atlanta. Now that's not enduring statewide appeal, but there is both, we have both John Gordon willing to say it and an audience ready to hear it. That's a great point, Patricia, because it's not just the who and what of it, but it's the where. This was the Fulton County GOP. This was sort of the bastion of mainstream Republicanism. Uh, 
And to me, being there, and, I, and this wasn't the only sort of firebrand speech that I heard that morning, but being there um, epitomized, characterized to me, illustrated to me how um, how the pro-Trump factions of the party, uh, of the Republican Party at writ large, are sort of taking over, taking root in these county systems. And we've seen the same thing in DeKalb. We've seen the same things in the exurbs where pro-Trump leaders of their county organizations were ousted by even more pro-Trump leaders, you know, and how 2020 has become this litmus test. And in that crowd, you can't really, you know, you can't hear it. Um, but there was a divide. Um, you know, uh, folks closer to the front of the room were giving standing ovations to people who, to candidates and others who say that Trump won. In the back of the room, there was a lot more uneasiness. There's a lot more, you know, folks who were just happened to be getting phone calls or or had had to check their text <laughs> message the moment that um, that a certain speaker was going up or the moment that 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 John Gordon was going off on on teachers. Um, so there's still that split, but it's going to be a very fascinating thing to watch in the state GOP as, as we continue closer to November and beyond. And you can count on us here at the Political Georgia podcast uh, to help inform you about what's going on and with our podcasts that come out every Wednesday and Friday, or really, uh, the bosses tell me now, whenever news breaks. Yeah, really. <laughs> so <laughs> You've gotten your marching orders. So we're here to see... Exactly. We're going to see you next time on Politica Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Mm-hmm.